I just feel so lonely. I wonder if she's ever gonna I just text me back. So much. Why am I so anxious all the time? What should I have for dinner today? I'm so worried just about breathe. that job interview. Just breathe. I really should work out today. I just can't catch a break. Would you love me? Just if try to really relax. Me? <sighs> I can't just keep breathing. doing this. Just breathe. I just, I just feel so lonely. I'm so worried about that. Why should I have for dinner? Why am I so anxious? Just breathe. But I'm telling you what, we had a great experience with our team in Africa. I want to share a little bit more because I want to plant a seed in each of your brains about Africa. And, but don't, don't worry about it yet. I'm not going to ask anyone to fly to Africa right now. But I do want you to be thinking about maybe ways that you can uh, participate in our mission there. So we're in a series called Headspace. Um, and, we're, and we're looking at the ways that our brains will, and our thoughts, will control our reactions um, and control us in ways that don't really benefit us or honor God. And so this, this is a series, I, Steve Wilkinson preached last week, heard great things about that sermon, did a fantastic job. Steve is a good friend. He probably mentioned that we're in a prayer group on Thursday mornings, and he and his wife have been coming here to Sherwood Oaks for about a year now. And so he's a former preacher. I don't say former. He's a preacher, but is not, doesn't have a church right now. But, uh, but he, I was like, hey, are you about ready to preach again? He goes, what do you need me to do? I said, I need you to preach for my in Africa. And he did a great job. Did a great job. So when you see Steve, just affirm him. This, he's a, he is a great man, and I really appreciate his friendship. So uh, many of you who know my story know that I spent several years in Reno, Nevada, three years, uh, as a matter of fact, serving a church plant there. So flew out there, met some people. A good friend of mine was planning a church, asked me to join up with them. The church is very small, much smaller than this, this congregation even. And so they couldn't pay me anything. They did cover some insurance for me, which I was very grateful for. But, uh, but, but I had to hustle. I had several side hustles for a while, as, uh, as a matter of fact. None of those side hustles. I mean, side hustles, you don't live off of a side hustle, and I didn't live off my side hustles. None of those jobs paid much, and I found myself living, to put it nicely, very frugally. Now, frugality is an admirable. In fact, as, as believers, we're called to, to live with a, with a mindset of, of just uh, being grateful and thankful for what we have. None of us aspire to be on that old 80s television show, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Anyone remember watching that in the 80s? Now, that's not really a Christian's goal, to live like that. But i got to be honest with you. My, my frugality, my simplicity, wasn't because I was really trying just to, just to not you know, live like the Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. It was mostly because I couldn't live like the lifestyle. If I could have, I've got to be honest with you, I would have been tempted. Uh, instead, no, I didn't have any money. I had no money. Every day seemed like a financial struggle for a long time. And those, and those daily little financial struggles sort of fed a lie that lived just under the surface of my brain. And the lie was this. Maybe you can identify with this. God can't, or worse, God just won't take care of me. So this, 
this lie is there under the surface. And I remember one morning in particular. I'd been, it'd been an early morning because I had one job up at Tahoe, like at 7 o'clock. And so I'm coming back down from Tahoe. It's about 9.45, 10 o'clock. And, and I've got another job I've got to get to at 11. And I'm like, okay, I got, I got an hour. I need something to eat. But it's too far to get up to the north side of the city where I live. So I'm, I need to find a place down here. And I saw like, like the best breakfast place ever. Denny's. Like, I, I want to, I just want to sit at Denny's and I just want to, I just want to order a Grand Slam breakfast. <laughs> I mean, Jesus, can I just not do that? And Jesus is like, yeah, yeah you're, go for it. So I'm like, okay. So I, I, you know, you know how you look through your the console of the car, looking for all the change you can muster. You know, you've got a few bucks in your wallet. You know, you got some quarters here. You go, okay, I, I've got enough. I've got enough for, for a Grand Slam breakfast. So I park the car. I walk in Denny's. I go through the first the first door. There's always that those two sets of doors. Walk in the first door, and there, off to my right, was the little machine that you put the money in and you open it up, and the and the newspapers come out. I, I don't know what it's called, newspaper dispensary, I guess. So I saw it there and 75 cents for a newspaper. And all of a sudden, not only did I want a Grand Slam breakfast, but I wanted to read the newspaper while I was drinking my coffee and enjoying my Grand Slam breakfast. But it was 75 cents for a newspaper. And I knew that the, that the light bill had to be paid, rent had to be paid, insurance had to be paid. 75 cents, it matters when you're living hand to mouth, close to the bone, as my grandpa used to say. I thought, I don't know. I don't know. I need every 75 cents I can, I can lay my hands on because if I don't take care of me, I don't know that I believe that, that God can take care of me. And while I never said it out loud, I was believing and acting on that lie. Romans 12, 2 says that we are not to conform to the pattern of this world, but we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, our thinking, so that we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. My mind needed to be transformed because I was conforming to an old lie of the enemy. Now, all of us have lies that we believe about ourselves or we believe about God or we believe about the world around us. I don't know what yours are. Yours may be very similar to mine, but yours may be very different as well. But today we're going to be talking about how to test and address those lies and then align them and have them renew us, actually. Renew us so that we are living in accordance with God's good and pleasing and perfect will. There's going to be a couple of words you're going to see or hear as we go through this process. And, and you can write them down or you can just look at them so you identify them when you hear them. But, but here's the words. Recognize, replace, reflect, rewire, and then reflex. So let's pray and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, our minds are amazing instruments. You created us with Amazing powers of thought and processing and recollection. But the devil knows how that works too. And he can oftentimes get in there and mess up the wiring. So today we pray that we would learn some real practical ways 
to renew our minds in accordance with your word and your perfect will. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I said, uh, last week Steve was here, did a great job. Steve talked about two of those words. He talked about the, the word recognize and replace. And, and he talked about this idea of, of the lies that we're fed almost from the beginning about ourselves, about God, about the world around us. And those lies that we hear so much that that familiarity, that repetition gets us to the point where we can sometimes begin to believe those lies. In fact, most times we actually start to believe those lies that the enemy tells us. He said, he said when, we, when we recognize that, we replace it with God's word because only God's word speaks to those lies in a way that is uncontaminated by our own biases, our own prejudices, our own presuppositions about the world. God's word stands apart from that. And so we go to it rather than having it come to us. We go to it and find truth, truth that will confront us, truth that will comfort us, truth, truth that will strengthen us so that we, we can think in accordance with God's perfect will. Now, knowing truth and doing and living out truth are two, two different things, unfortunately. Maybe you're like me. You can identify with this. I know that when I get home from work, if I were to walk my dog for a mile every evening, it would not only be great for the dog, it would really be beneficial for me. I know walking a mile would be good, and yet... I find myself at 7 o'clock in the evening not walking a mile. Instead, I'm doing some sort of game on, on, uh, on my iPad, and the dog is sitting there at my feet. Knowing versus doing. You know that fighting with your spouse does nothing to improve your relationship, and yet you find yourself fighting with your spouse. You know that 24-7 news cycle only feeds your already anxious mind and heart, but at 11.30, what are you watching? The 24-7 news cycle. You know that your finances are in a mess, and yet Amazon delivers a new package to your door every other day. The disconnect between what we know and what we do is like a poorly wired house. House I lived on 12th Street, over 100 years old. I can tell you there were many outlets in that house where if you plug something in, nothing would happen. Nothing. The old wiring was not only frustrating, but it could actually be pretty dangerous. Every night I, I went to sleep thinking, oh, I could wake up to the sound of fire engines outside the house in the morning. We all deal with this 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 wiring issue, though, in our, in our hearts, our lives. Even the Apostle Paul, who addressed this issue with what I think is amazing humility. Here's what Paul told the Romans in chapter 7, verse 15. Paul said, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. Instead, I do what I hate to do. Paul says, the wiring is messed up. And if Paul can admit to this challenge, then I don't think there's any shame in us admitting that we are challenged by it as well. So let's look at how to rewire our thinking in order to live and think and respond as God intended. And to do that, 
we're going to look at the brain. Now, I hope we don't have any brain experts here because my explanation is going to be real, like, kindergarten level. But if that's all right with you, I'll give you the kindergarten version of how our brains work. The brain is a command center that directs the different parts of our body through neurons. And neurons leak together like little trains, little cars on a train to create messages that go from here out to our feet and our hands and our mouth and our eyes and all of our senses. These neurons leak together to create messages. And, and the same message sent multiple times will create a neural pathway. The same message created or sent multiple times will create this pathway in the brain. If you grew up on a farm, maybe you can picture it this way. So I grew up on a farm, and one of the things I loved to do was ride my little huffy bike over the fields on the cow paths. Cow paths, if you grew up on a farm, are like the best part of being on a farm. So cow paths are formed when cows who are just contentedly grazing in the fields decide it's time for a drink of water. And so they lift their heads up, and somehow, as a group, they decide it's time for a drink. And they all head off to the pond, and they all follow one another line one after the other, one after the other. And they do this enough, and there's enough cows, and they do this enough through the season, that by the end of the summer, you will have a nice cow path because cows, once they find a route that works, they're not very adventurous. They don't deviate from that path that often. And so you have a really nice-looking cow path by the time August rolls around. Now, so our brains are like those cow paths, Repeated thoughts create really impressive neural pathways in our brain. It's made even worse by the fact that at the back of our brain is this, is this system that, that makes sense of the world around us. And so we are receiving new information all the time, and our brain is processing that. It's its job. But our brain is pretty lazy. Our brain is not the most valuable employee of the firm. That little part of our brain likes to take the easy route. So let me explain how this works. So when I was in Africa last week, we're driving through the streets of Nairobi, and I see a couple of things. Now again, Nairobi is full of new experiences. My brain is, right now it's even tired thinking about what it was thinking about two weeks ago. So in Nairobi, there's a lot of street vendors, people selling things on blankets on the sidewalks. There's, there's cows walking down the street, just, just aimlessly wandering down the street. There's trash. Oh, my word, there's so much trash on the streets. And so I'm looking at the bus window, looking at all this, and my brain is just, it is just buzzing with all this information that's going into it. But, but again, it's... It's, it's not an overachiever. My brain isn't. Maybe yours is. My brain's like, okay, we got to find the quickest path and the simplest box to put all this information in. And so my brain goes, oh, oh, street vendors. Oh, well, you know what? You know what city also had street vendors? Bangkok, Thailand has street vendors. Oh, this, they have street vendors like Bangkok, Thailand has street vendors. Oh, you know who else has trash? Uh, New Delhi, India. New Delhi has trash all over the streets. Oh, my word, it's so frustrating for a tidy person. Oh, 
And New Delhi also has these random cows. These, these Hindu cities have cows that just wander the streets. Okay, okay, I got it. My brain says I got it. Uh, street vendor, uh, Nairobi, street vendor, Bangkok. Uh, cows, Nairobi, cows, New Delhi. Trash, ba- uh, Nairobi, trash, New Delhi. Sort it out. Good. Now my brain can think about something else. But here's the truth. Street vendors in Africa are not the same as the street vendors in Bangkok. The cows in Nairobi are not the same as the cows in New Delhi. The trash is different trash. But that's too much thinking, so my brain says, it's close enough, into this category you go, down that path you go, and the pathway gets deeper and deeper and deeper. So what does this have anything to do with Sunday morning and what we're talking about with creating headspace with God in the center of it? Well, here's how the devil works. God created our brains with amazing systems to manage all these thoughts, and the devil uses that system for his advantage. He tells us these lies. He tells us lies like, uh, Tim, God can't help you, or God won't help you. Tim, God can't forgive you. God can't use you. I'm not good enough, smart enough, holy enough. No one likes you. You'll never lose weight. You'll never get that job. You'll never find that spouse. All these lies that the enemy tells us. Are any of those familiar to you, or do you have other lies the enemy tells you? And what happens is when we encounter these new experiences, rather than see them for their own value, our brain simply says, and the devil uses this to his advantage, our brain simply says, okay, uh, this is like this thing. And so I'm going to put it down this path. And, and, it, and it sort of looks like that, so it's going to go in that box. And rather than work through the process of aligning each individual experience with God's truth, we take the easy route. We just toss them into the box that's most convenient. And if you already struggle with like adversity and hardship and feeling like the world is against you, then a simple thing like a flat tire can easily spiral you down into this, into this, this hole where I am never going to get a grip on my life. Has it ever happened where a little thing can simply derail your day? It's because we let those lies inform our thinking and our behavior. We hear enough of those. We hear enough of those. We hear enough of those. And just like that bad wiring in my house, eventually (laughs) it'll take you down. But here's the deal. Repeated thoughts and neural pathways, in addition to being a tool the enemy can use, it's ultimately the way God designed our brains to work. And so that same system if aligned properly with God, can work amazingly in our favor. How does that work? Well, let me explain it. So the the last time you had to learn something new, think about that. What was it? What was the last time you had to learn something new? And if you can't think of the last time, think of something very familiar. Like like for me, uh, the new thing that I'm learning is how to prepare a sermon every week. I've never done it before, and, and it takes some effort, but I think I'm getting a little bit better at it each time I do it. Maybe for you it was learning to shoot a basket or learning how to crochet a blanket or play the piano or, 
or, or grill a steak on the back deck. Every time you did that, the first time you did that, uh, despite what your mom or your wife said, it was probably not great. Maybe it was sufficient, but it wasn't great. You had to think about it. It was hard work, and at the end of it, there was nothing really to brag about. It was just like, uh, yeah, yeah. But if you kept at it, if you applied yourself, you got better. Each time you did it, you got better. Those little pathways, those little cow paths got stronger and stronger and stronger, deeper and deeper and deeper, to the point where you may be now at the point where you can shoot a basket and joke with your friends at the same time, where you can watch a mystery show and knit a blanket at the same time, where you can play the piano and talk to people at the same time. But those neural pathways that were formed from repeated, 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 repeated efforts took you to the place eventually where you could arrive with ease, without stressing about it. So maybe this is a better example, something that happens to me, maybe to you too. You leave work, you get in the car, you're driving home, you're thinking about the things of work, a situation there, a problem that needs to be managed, a a relationship thing that you've got to sort out. You get home and you pull in the driveway, you turn the keys in your car, you, you get out and you look around and you go, how did I even get here. Does anyone else, everyone else saw that problem, that situation? How did I even end up at home? Did I run a red light? Did I, did I plow through stop signs? Did I, did I leave a path of death and destruction behind me? What happened? How did I get here from there without even paying attention to it? Well, the truth is your brain did that for you. Those neural pathways got you home. So wouldn't it be great if instead of being derailed, we arrived where we needed to be, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, whenever we face some sort of personal crisis, some sort of little personal thing that that otherwise would spiral us off into this weird spot where, where we just go deep and dark, instead we land where we need to land. We pull in the driveway and we're home where we're supposed to be. Instead of taking it personal when we get off get cut off on the highway, we go, hey, you know what? That person is probably not even thinking about me. They got a place to go. They're in their own head. They're thinking about something at work, and they just want to get home. We don't get angry. We don't react reflexively with a bad response. We reflexively respond well. Instead of reacting badly to the lies the enemy tells us, mostly by believing them, you're not good enough, you're not smart enough, you're not fast enough. Instead, we respond with an easy confidence that says, I am who you say I am. I belong to Jesus. I am loved and accepted by him. We're thinking and responding in a way that is aligned with God's truth, and it becomes automatic and reflexive. But to get there (laughs) requires Another R word. To get there to the point where we are responding automatically and reflexively in the way that God has designed us and wants us to respond to requires another R word, and that is the word reflection. We need to be reflective, like learning to shoot a basket or play a beautiful sonata. Those things require some mental effort on the front end before it becomes easy on the back end. It requires some rewiring. After Moses 
passes away. Moses was the leader that took the children of Israel from slavery in Egypt. You can read this story in Exodus. Takes the children of Israel through, through a long journey through the desert. And while he's doing that, God is speaking to Moses and, and giving him some words to write down for the benefit of the entire community. Moses dies. Moses gets them to the very brink of the promised land. He dies and God raises up Joshua, his understudy, to take his place. And here's what God tells Joshua as he's preparing to lead them into the promised land. They're, they're at the border, but to take it, there's still more work to be done. And so God tells Joshua, here's what you're going to need to do. He says, you're going to, to, to function this way. The book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. In other words, Joshua you got to fill your mind with my truth. Otherwise, the whispers and the, and the lies of the enemy out there, and there are many enemies in this land that I'm calling you to take. Otherwise, the whispers and lies of the enemy will distract and destroy you. Instead, you've got to align yourself with God's truth. You'll recognize lies and, and replace them instantly if you know my word. And you'll accomplish what I have in mind for you to accomplish. You will find your way prosperous, and you will find your way with good success. This is what Steve talked about last week. We, we recognize lies and we place them with truth. That takes work and that takes effort. You don't shoot a basket the first time you try. You, you don't make a beautiful quilt the first time you try. And you don't do it just because you want to. You don't do it just because you hope to. You don't do it just because you read a verse a day. And that sounds harsh, but that's just the truth. In order to rewire your brain to respond correctly, you have to be reflective. You have to spend time with God's word and have it actually inform you. And if you do, then your response to problems and crises and situations and those lies of the enemy will become reflexive. So God told Joshua to keep the word of uh, his word right in front of him. And he also tells us the same thing. In fact, if you look at Philippians 4.8, my mother, my mother gave this verse to me when I was an adolescent, I, and it's always impacted me. So in Philippians 4.8, Paul gives the Philippians sort of a filter to run all their thoughts through. And so I've called this a Philippians filter. You can do that the same too. You don't even have to quote me on it. But here's how the Philippians filter works. Paul tells them this way, listen, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. In other words, instead of thinking like the world and being conformed to the world's way of thinking, we renew our mind by running it through this Philippian stuff. True honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, praiseworthy, excellent. That's how we, we guard and filter our thoughts. How does this thought that I'm having stack up against God's word? So I'm, I'm back at Denny's. Let's go back there. I'm at Denny's. I'm in the vestibule. There's the paper thing. I'm like, ah, 75 cents. I mean, people who spend 75 cents on a on a newspaper, are also the ones who order appetizers before a meal. I mean, you got to be rich. 
you just got to be rich to do appetizers. I'm like, ah, 75 cents. I mean, all of a sudden, it's not just the toast, the bacon, the eggs, the coffee. So I want to have the pleasure of flipping those pages over and reading news about people I don't even know or care about. It mattered to me right then. I'm like, ah, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then an old song we used to sing. You may know this song. We sang this song when I was growing up. Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace is sufficient for me, for me, for me. Jehovah Jireh, if you know it, sing it with me. My provider, his grace is sufficient for me. The second part of that old song is taken directly from Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It goes like this. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. That passage right there is almost verbatim this translation that we've got up in front of us. Philippians 4, 19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And that little word of truth in the middle of my temptation to believe the lie that God could not take care of me, it changed everything. And as I, and as I listened to that song play in my head and my memory, every little part of it became very important. My God, can we leave that scripture up there? My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ. My God, my God, I belong to him. He, he belongs to me. He is my God. I am his, and he is mine. And, and my God will supply all my needs. He will meet all my needs. He, not he might meet all my needs, or he can meet all my needs, but he will meet all my needs. Like a child cared for by his parents, my God is bigger than 75 cents. According to the riches of his glory in Christ. It's a big phrase. For me, the picture of, of this is, is, is the idea of God pouring the totality of who he is in Jesus. Jesus was, was filled and consumed by God. And the God who is so generous with himself is generous to me. God will fill me up with himself and everything that I need. Not only will he provide what I need now, he will continue to pour into me what I need when I need it as I offer myself to him for his purposes. And you say, Tim, it's a newspaper. You didn't need a newspaper. And you're right, I didn't need a newspaper. Again, it's full of news about people I don't even know. But in that moment, <laughs> that newspaper stood as a test of faith and belief in God's ability to provide for me. A simple little thing. And so I pulled out of my pocket <laughs> 75 cents, three quarters, and I popped them in, ding, 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 and I turned the latch, and I opened the door, and I pulled that nice, crisp newspaper out, <sniffs> smelled it, because you got to smell newspapers, don't you? Smelled it. Uh, I took it to my table, and they brought the food, and I turned the pages, and I read the editorials, and I looked at the comics, and I read the headlines, and I drank my coffee, and it was an amazing little breakfast moment. And the whole time, you know, David said, 
Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, don't forget his benefits. I was talking to myself too. I said, oh, Tim, God can take care of you. God can take care of you. That moment where I stepped out in faith and said, I'm not going to believe that lie. I'm instead going to believe God's word. And God's word says that he will supply all my needs. So I'm going I'm to get that paper and I'm going to read it. <laughs> Reflecting on God's word changed the moment. It challenged the lie and replaced it with the truth. And it began the process of rewiring my thoughts and emotions surrounding God's ability to provide for me which was the lie that I believed. Now, maybe that's not your lie. Maybe that's not your issue. You have, you have other lies. I'm sure that you, you are tempted to act as if are true. Maybe you have the lie that says, I'll never really be good enough. I'll never really have what it takes. And to that lie, God's word says, I have given you everything you need for life and godliness. Maybe your lie is, life is always just going to steamroll over me. Just keep my head down and try not to, try not to get its attention. Otherwise, it's just going to squash me because it's hard. And God's word says this, I am working. I am working. Even in those situations that feel overwhelming to you, I am working. And I'm working all things for your good. You can trust me when things feel overwhelming or like life is just controlling you. No, no, no. I am working. And if God is for you, who can be against you, the scripture says. Maybe the lie is that you're in this situation and it's just gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna destroy you. Your marriage, your job, your kids, like uh, we'll, never <laughs> we'll never recover from this. Say, I, 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 I don't know what I'm gonna do. I just wanna, I just wanna go under the covers and hide. God says, listen, I am your strength and your fortress. I am your refuge in time of distress. Come to me. Maybe, maybe your lie is that the prison of addiction that you find yourself in is it's just going to be with you always. You're going you're gonna to live and die here in this prison. But God's word says that he is faithful. And when you are tempted by the addictions and the, the lies the world throws at you, God says, I will provide a way out. You are not trapped. I will provide a way out. Now, so I just got to tell you, once is not enough. It would be great if all I did was sing Jehovah Jireh and all of those lies of the enemy just disappeared. That is not how it works. I I had to remind myself again and again and again and again and again that God can take care of me. But each time I did that, those little neural cows on their pathway created a deeper trench. And it became easier and easier for that response to happen. When I was fearful about the future, it became easier and easier and eventually reflexive. Are you worried about something? God will take care of you. Are you anxious about that, Tim? God will take care of you. Rewiring takes work. 
It doesn't mean that Satan is going to give up on the lies that he tells you. It just means that you're going to recognize those lies quicker and replace them with the truth until it becomes a natural reaction, a reflex. Romans 8.6 says, The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. And I want my mind to be governed by the spirit of life and peace. Don't you? We're going to share in the time of communion. Communion always brings up another lie, I think, that some of us may wrestle with. The idea that, uh, that we're just not worthy of God's love. Here's the truth about lies. The best lies... The best lies are lies that have just enough truth in them to make them believable. Satan tells good lies. His best lies, the lies he speaks to us, have just enough truth in them to make them believable. And one of the lies that he tells us is that we are not worthy of God's love. And so when we come to a time of communion here, we can have this, this sort of this response like, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm getting anxious about this. What do I need to do? Who do I do? What do I need to I need to be better? I did what about last week? I did that thing. And so the devil says, you're not worthy of God's love. And you go, you're right. You're right. I'm not going to take communion this week. I'm not worthy. I got I to gotta do better next week. And next week, I'll do really good and then I'll take communion. You see, that lie that the devil tells us is, is wrapped around a truth because the truth is, yeah, we're not. We are not worthy of God's love. We're not strong enough. We're not gifted enough. You're not smart enough. You're not mature enough. You're not godly enough. You're not nice enough to deserve God's love. And so when the devil whispers that, we can be tempted to just hang our heads and despondently agree and, and wander off and hide ourselves away from people and him and hope. The Apostle Paul, again, I, I, I love his story. He talks about this thorn in the flesh, this affliction he had. No one really knows what it is, which is great because we can all assume it's ours. Paul says, I prayed three times that God would just get rid of this thing. Let me just live in peace without this thing. God says, no, no, no. Instead, in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, the Lord says to Paul, this amazing truth, like the truth, the truth that excels almost every other truth, the super truth. He says this, my grace is sufficient for you. Say that with me. My grace is sufficient for you. And my power, 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 wonder-working power, my power is made perfect in weakness. So Paul says, listen, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. One of the most powerful things we can do when the devil brings up this lie that you are not worthy of God's love is to say with Paul, devil, you're right. You're absolutely right. I am, I'm not worthy of God's grace. I've got nothing in myself to boast about that's worthy of God's grace. In fact, my weaknesses are on full display to anyone who wants to look, anyone who cares. So if I try to hide them, no one's fooled by that. No one's fooled. But devil, I'm going to replace that lie with an amazing truth. My grace is sufficient for thee. God's grace is sufficient, all sufficient. And that's the truth. And when we speak the truth, 
we are always brought back to Jesus who says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And when we speak the truth, we bring Jesus right into that situation. His grace is sufficient. I want my life and my brain and my thoughts to line up with God and his perfect, pleasing, excellent will and plan for my life. But when that doesn't happen, (laughs) his grace is sufficient. Father, this morning as we prepare to take this meal, I know that we all come this morning with some little lies in the back of our heads that we wrestle with. Maybe we don't wrestle with them, but, but God, I pray that as we, we come to the table here, we, we, uh, <laughs> we just, like Paul, lay them out to you. Say, here, here's our deal. Here's our issue. Here's what we believe. Here's what we think. God, we pray that you would respond with truth. Speak those truths into our lives that we need to hear so desperately transform us by those truths so that we can live lives that are full of grace and peace and life, life, that life that we can spread to others as well. As we think about Jesus, the way, the truth, and life, we think about Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, the eternal life that we gained through that act of love and grace, that grace which is sufficient for us. We take the cup and the bread and we give thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.